0: welcome to covenant heart ministry sabbath sermons i'm your host thomas messiah yeshua christ jesus is coming soon covenant Heart ministry focuses on interconnected building blocks of biblical faith in action let us join the weekly sabbath sermon be blessed So, so as we go through Matthew 20 and 21, as we continue our study on the parables of Jesus, that let us know what the end times looks like of those that love truth and those that love the lie, those that have a desire for God, God's presence, His holiness and His truth, and those that willingly take the deception that God allows to permeate and choose to believe the lie and replace God with their own ideas. So we're going through these parables to understand what the behaviors look like so we can discern by the fruit, is this someone that loves God and loves truth, Is this someone that is a wolf in sheep's clothing, a goat, that is going to be separated? Because, as the Bible says, there are many false prophets and false teachers and multiple powers of the anti-Messiah spirit that are going out, and we see it increasing in our days. So, let's find out what Jesus tells us about bearing fruit. Um, I'm going to I'm going to conclude this introduction with a quote from second uh, Timothy 2 verse 19, "The firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who calls the name, who calls on the name of Messiah to part from iniquity. Because as chapter 3 says, in the last days perilous times will come. People will love themselves, dot, 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 love pleasure more than love God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Turn away from such people. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. So this is why we're studying these parables as Jesus defines it. The previous two weeks we've gone over seed. We've had the sower and the seed, we've had the wheat and the weeds. Both of these are talking about the same topic. The seed is the good news, the gospel, redemption, reconciliation through Jesus and his work for us so that we can have relationship with God and bear fruit. This seed, this gospel, is shared to the entire world. As Paul says, all of humanity has the opportunity to receive salvation from Adam forward. Everyone has been revealed God's salvation, his seed. So. The seed is thrown out on the ground, in vineyards, in cultivated ground. This is the world and our response to his gospel. It is important to note there is no judgment that we can do on this level. We cannot judge God's seed falling on the ground, and the response of the ground to his seed. As 1 Corinthians says, one person waters, one person plants, another person harvests. God is responsible for the growth. We all go through the stages that the sower and the seed talks about in our relationship with God, and we're the ones that claim to have relationships. So there's no judgment at that level. There's the world, and there's those that receive the gospel. God is the one that judges at the end of the age. God will separate. But there is a judgment that we do have participation with, and that is bearing fruit, just like the the wheat and the weeds, the wheat could not pull out the weeds next to it, but by their fruit, they were made known. When we claim to be wheat, when we claim to be part of God's vineyard, we are claiming that we are part of his covenant. The three parables that we're focusing on all deal with a vineyard. They deal with the people working the vineyard, working the harvest. These are those that claim to be in the covenant, and thereby they are judged by the covenant they claim to be in. Judgment begins in the house of God. So, the vineyard represents God's covenant, originally made with Israel, With Jesus, Jew and Gentile equally can enter God's covenant. The workers in the covenant, the workers in the vineyard, are those that claim to have relationship with God through covenant, through Jesus. Because there is no other way to have relationship with God except through his Messiah. They may think so, but there's not. The question is, are us, are the workers, circumcised in heart or are they stiff-necked and refusing to submit to the authority of the vineyard owner? So we look in this context and we see what relationship with the owner of the vineyard looks like. We see faithful, we see unfaithful. We see those that proclaim to have works and those that do have works and those that have relationship. We see a bunch of differences that Jesus pulls out. So uh, the first parable, the workers in the vineyard from Matthew 21 through 16, we'll take this in chunks because there's three parables we're comparing. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like. To be clear, when he says the kingdom of heaven, he's referring to the manifest authority. He's referring to to the authority of the king of this kingdom. His rule, his government, the authority to raise up or to lower. He's not referring to the geographic area, he's referring to the presence of the king in his dominion. So, it's like a landowner who went out in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, then he sent them into his vineyard denarius is a day's wage so he's being a fair landowner day's work day's wage but this landowner he takes takes people at 9 in the morning at at lunchtime 3 in the afternoon he takes them a couple hours before dinner and all these people go into his go into his vineyard, all of these people work his vineyard. They, some of them have been there for a while, some of them came late. And the landowner says, I'm calling you, I'm inviting you to have relationship with me, to work in my vineyard and to bear fruit, to be productive. And I will reward you for this. This is the establishment of by faith through grace, not of works, but works are a natural byproduct of relationship, which is established by God's grace through faith. Graciously, he pulls the workers out at any time of day. By faith, they say, Yes, I'll have a relationship with you and I'll work in your covenant, I'll work in your vineyard. So, um, verse 9: When they were hired in the 11th hour, five o'clock, they came they each received a denarius. When the first, oh, verse eight. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. So Jesus later establishes, I'm your king. I'm your teacher. I'm serving you. I came to this world that I created and I served, and they still rejected me. I'm your example. This is how my kingdom works." So in the parable, he gives the workers that came last a dinars. The ones that came early in the day and been laboring a long time, um, off the top of my head I'm thinking Perry, Perry Stone, saying that he's been studying Bible since before he was 18 with his parents and he started preaching at 18. Whether you like him or not, that's irrelevant. He's been studying before he was 18, and by 18 he was leading church services and he's been doing it for 60 plus hours, 60 plus thousand hours, as he claims. So that's the laborer that's been in the vineyard since nine in the morning. And then we got the thief on the cross that says, he says, I know who you are, I know that you don't deserve this, but you're taking it for us. Please remember me. And we don't even know that guy's name. But how many times has he been an example to encourage us when we're faithless, he remains faithful. So, Perry Stone, the thief on the cross, they both get the same reward. Because, It's by grace through faith that's the establishment. The work that we do in relationship with God out of love and motivation has reward, Mm. but that reward does not establish our relationship, Mm. that reward does not assure our salvation, that reward does not make us adoptive children. Mm. We're going to talk about that in the second parable. So, when the early workers saw that they weren't getting paid more than the late workers, they're like, yo, this isn't cool. They came in later. And yeah, we agreed to denaris, but we thought, you're gracious with them, so you're going to give us a tip. That's like saying, I've been here so long, you know you should give me more. But Jesus says, that's not how things work in my kingdom. Um, you have made them equal to us, who have bor- we who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. I live in North Carolina. The heat of the day is not fun. No. I, I remember a worker that I had to um, help me with pulling weeds. I made sure to give him extra than what I normally would because he was working the heat of the day pulling weeds. But that was something that he agreed on our standard wage and I chose to give them a little bit more because of compensation, because it was the heat of the day, because that's what I chose to do. Same thing with the landlord here. He says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. We agreed on a day's wage when you came to work for me. One person waters, one person plants, one person harvests, God be the glory. If you get to harvest somebody in their spiritual salvation and you bring them to Jesus and you're discipling them, realize there was probably other people working with them to get them to that point before you even entered. God gives the same reward to all of us. He says, what have you done with me? In relationship with me. That's what matters. Not how long. Mm-hmm. So take what's yours and go in peace. But if I choose to be gracious, it's my money, it's my vineyard, you're my workers, you agreed to this covenant. So don't be greedy and don't be insulting to your fellow workers. You can take it up with the boss of the vineyard. So, last will be first and the first will be last, for many are called but few are chosen. Remember the the sower and the seed. Just because the soil was responsive, there was Dirt and rocks, and a and a plant grew up. But the plant wither, withered away when it became troubled. Excuse me. Follow through. Work the whole day. So, I I will not get into a discussion about end of life, and, and I won't get into that. Um, Matthew 21, 28 through 32. So this first parable teaches us to do the work, to, to have relationship and to repent and to turn a good product, a good fruit, to be faithful in whatever God puts before you to walk in. It's Ephesians two ten. So um, Matthew twenty one twenty eight through thirty two. Uh, in between this. Jesus says, we're going to go up to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be resurrected. And people aren't understanding this. But Jesus tells them, this is my leadership, you are my disciples, learn from my leadership. a lot of these examples continue forth in the parables. I'm going to I'm gonna skip forward to 28 Parable of the Two Sons. What do you think? Man had two sons. Came to the first and said, Son, go work in my vineyard today. And the son said, I will not. But afterwards, he repented and he went. Then he came to the second son and said, likewise, go work in my vineyard today. And he said, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which one of the two did the will of his father? First one. But the first one refused. Yes.
1: The first one refused and was being honest about the refusal, but realized they were in the wrong and went and said, Heavenly Father, I'm I'm sorry that I refused to work in your vineyard and repented and went and did it. Yes. The second son gave lip service, said, Yeah, I'll go do it, but then sat idly by,
2: totally his thoughts
0: Yep. So, as I've heard before, you can live in a cookie jar, but that doesn't make you a cookie. (laughs) You can go to church every week, but that doesn't mean that you have a relationship with God. So yes, we see the importance that Jesus places on, you may be rebellious when you first hear the command but considering it, pondering it, thinking about it, working the soil, coming to a place of repentance and follow through is more important and more obedient and develops relationship, whereas those that have lip service, those that look good on the outside, those that trust in their works for their righteousness, and trust in their obedience as the ground of their relationship with the vineyard owner, with the Father. Their works are as filthy rags. They don't have ground to stand on, and they don't follow through because they're not humble in relationship with the owner of the vineyard. They're not honest with Father. So. On the same line, Jesus says um, in verse 31, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes will enter the kingdom of God before you. He's talking to to the religious leaders that were questioning him. Because John the Immerser came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And yet, even when you saw it, you did not afterward repent and believe him." So, So we've got We've got back in 20, the two blind men by the road. They would be equated to the tax collectors and the sinners, those that don't have anything for themselves and they're dependent on society. They're like, hey, this is my opportunity. I want this. And society is pushing them down. But they're like, Jesus, you can heal me. They're the ones that might have been saying no, or they might have just not been listening because they got the music up too loud and they didn't hear father say, go work in the vineyard. But they see the other children working in the vineyard. They're like, hey, dad's kids are working there. I wanted dad's kids. I should work there. And then they finally connect. They see the light and they're like, I want that. It may be 5 o'clock in the evening, but work stops at 6. I can go. And Jesus rewards that. But then those that um, were selling at the temple, those that were stopping the children from proclaiming God's praise, they see John the Immerser way, way back before Jesus publicly was doing ministry. And they recognized that John had authority. He was a Levite. He was the son of a high priest. And yet they did not listen to him. He could have taken over office if he wasn't out with the camel hair out in the desert. Yeah, so so they hear his witness, and they see Yeshua over the time, over the time. They've been there since nine in the morning, first first laborers in the day. They were working there days past, but they don't have relationship with the one who owns the vineyard, and they say... No, the way I see it, the way I think it, this doesn't line up, and they reject repentance. They reject turning toward God. They continue in their stubborn way. This is why the tax collectors and the prostitutes, Jesus said, are closer to the kingdom of God than the scribes that work in the temple of God but don't have relationship with them because they don't repent and they trust their works more than they trust God's work for us and to make good works according to what pleases God because you have that relationship. We still do the same thing today. We still have people that are convinced of their own righteousness and lack fruit of relationship with God. To have good fruit is good. Humans can obey six of the Ten Commandments. That still doesn't make us righteous. To obey all of the Ten Commandments requires relationship with God which requires Messiah's atonement, which requires humility and grace and trust that follows through.
3: Good point, because you're saying they're depending on their works. So they're saying, I did this, I did this, I did this, this, and this, so I should have more coming
1: to me. Well, you know, when they say word, word, I did this in your name and that in your name and this and that and this and that, they never once said I trusted in your name and in your name alone. They just named their works. Yeah. And our works go through a fire, and if they just burned up, there's
3: nothing. There's nothing left.
0: Mm-hmm. In in modern society, we recreate God according to what we think He should be. And then we have relationship with the conception that we have. That's the same thing that the Pharisees were doing when they controlled the temple, but denied relationship with their creator by denying the manifestation mm. of Messiah that they saw, that they understood, and they said, we don't want to let go of our authority in order to submit to you.
3: Mm,
0: exactly. We like how we have it running we don't want you, our creator, the Messiah that we recognize, fulfilling the prophecies, challenging us, speaking clearly. We don't want to let you mess up our game.
3: Yeah, they didn't want to give up the comfort or the authority or the privileges that they had. And salvation is only through Yeshua, only in Messiah.
0: So, the second parable of the two sons teaches us to proclaim, but to refuse to follow through does not work. So faith without works is dead. Just because you look good, just because you say the right things, follow through in that relationship is what God looks for. Just because you come not looking good but you make follow through and you repent and you start working in the vineyard that is acceptable. God calls, God does not call the equipped. He equips those he calls. So now we will look at the third parable still about the vineyard and the workers in the vineyard. The vineyard is God's covenant relationship. The workers are those that claim to be in this covenant. Whether they're honest or not honest is the question. So Yeshua continues in verse 33 of Matthew 21. Listen to another parable. Okay, Maybe that one was a little too abrupt, a little too straightforward. Let me give you another one because two or three witnesses establish a matter. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard, built a wall around it. He dug a wine press in it and built a tower. These are all pictures from all the major prophets that God says, Israel is my vineyard. I planted good grapes. I dug a tower. I built a wall around her. I am her protection. Why is my vineyard giving me wild grapes? That's because God's vineyard, Israel, those in covenant with him, prostituted to other gods and said, Yahweh is good, but Yahweh plus this other God is better. Or I like how this person expresses their idea of God. I'm going to adopt that and claim that's Yahweh. Sounds very familiar to what we do right now. This is what Israel did with the prophets. And what did, what did Yahweh do? Was he so zealous that he was like, I'm gonna destroy you right now, let's bring on the fire and brimstone? No. That's, he's slow to anger, abounding in mercy He allows the consequences to fall, but he blesses obedience and he gives us multiple opportunities to repent. So when he finally does bring the judgment, we've really earned it. And we're very aware of what we're choosing. So... This landowner rented the vineyard to to vine dressers and went to a distant country. This describes what Jeremiah 31 talks about. Of the in the latter days I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will put my spirit in them. I will cause them to obey my laws. I will be their righteousness. In them, I will change their intentions from the inner person by the atonement of the suffering servant. I will put my spirit in them. I will give them a new heart and a new flesh and write my law in their heart. Not outside, external, but internal. This is Jeremiah before the Babylon exile. This is the hope that God is putting forward. So sometime between the Babylon exile and the return, the coming of Messiah, we have this Jeremiah promise that they're waiting for, that Daniel says, the one who will make this covenant will come this many years after Jerusalem is reestablished. Spot on. So he we went to a distant country, when the season of the fruit drew near, He sent his servants to the vine dressers to receive his fruit. He started with Sinai, continued with David. Jeremiah promised a new covenant. This is God's covenant. God is rightful to expect fruit from those that claim to be united to the true vine like Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and bear fruit. If you don't abide in me, you will not be able to bear fruit because the vine, the branch apart from the vine cannot bear fruit and it is likely to be burned in the fire. So, when the vine dresser Um, When the season of fruit drew near, he sent servants to the vine dressers to receive his fruit. Vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Then he sent more servants, more than the first. And they did likewise to them. Does anybody know what this is referring to?
1: All the prophets that got sent to Israel.
0: What Jesus says in Matthew 23 of the blood of Abel all the way to the blood of Zachariah be on this generation, mm-hmm. because a prophet is—what um, sense would it make for a prophet to die outside of Jerusalem?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's being sarcastic. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Do we listen to those that are proclaiming the word of God or do we listen to those that tickle our ears that say what we want to hear that make it feel warm and fuzzy and sensitive to society? Do we want to understand God's truth as he defines truth and God's love as God defines love? Or do we want to put our own idea in place about that? That's the same logic that these, these renters are doing. We rent our bodies. We're here for a temporary time. We don't, we don't own our own being. God created us. He owns us.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So last of all, the owner of the vineyard sent his son to them saying they will surely respect my son yeshua has already proclaimed that i am the son of elohim he has already proclaimed that i came forth from the father and no one else has that abraham saw my day multiple times he says I am the expression of the living God physically manifest in front of you, providing fulfillment for all the prophecies that I spoke about myself mm-hmm. to my prophets that you killed. God is amazing. Amen. <laughs> then the vine dressers saw the sun, they saw Messiah said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. Replacement theology. Oops! We're no different than the Jews in Jesus' day. Gentiles are no different. It was only 1956 that Replacement Theology was ever questioned, and it's still an assumed bias, even though it's taught against. The Gentiles said, look, God destroyed the temple. He rejected the Jewish people. He took the Gentiles in place, so we're the new Israel. No. God never destroys what he makes covenant to establish. He may transform it. He may bring a better fulfillment, as Messiah did for the sacrificial system and the priesthood and the temple. But he never destroys it. He transforms it into a greater, larger fullness. Like Yeshua said in Matthew five seventeen through 19, I didn't come to abolish the Torah, God's commands, his instruction. I came to bring it to a greater fulfillment. So I'm gonna teach you what I wanted you to originally understand when I told Moses the first time, because you guys didn't get it. That's what Jesus does. Why would he contradict himself? God doesn't lie. He doesn't change. He doesn't contradict himself. So, uh, verse 39, they caught the son, they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Where was Messiah crucified?
1: Outside
0: Outside the gate. Where was the red heifer for ashes of purification brought to be slain outside the gate. gate. Let us go outside the gate bearing the reproach of Messiah that we may be with him. In glory, in reproach, it doesn't matter. Where Messiah is, that's where we should want to be. It's not to say that Messiah is always in the place of shame, but Messiah is in the place that those in a worldly mindset will not necessarily agree to go because what Messiah says to do and what the world says to do don't always align with each other.
1: Especially at this day and time, what was once and set apart from what been acceptable is
0: completely because to take something that's profane and to say that this is sacred and natural means it's a Bible verse somewhere means that the mind of that person has been completely transformed it's in a 180 opposite of how God describes. I'm not recalling the Bible verse, but there is a verse that describes that. It's in the New Covenant. I believe it's Paul. Mm-hmm. If anybody finds it, please let me know.
1: And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to a base mind do those things which are not proper.
0: And reference?
1: Uh, that's Romans chapter
2: 1. Romans verse one
0: twenty-eight.
3: 28. So we've
1: given them a
2: reprobate line. Yeah,
0: reprobate is that word. And as you look into things that God says, these are in my kingdom and these are outside of my kingdom, as I mentioned last week, you look into those passages and it talks about the transformation and the opposition. To God's definitions. And we were discussing last week, even Richard Dawkins, um, he's the gentleman that died.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: That he said, for me as an atheist, if God actually existed, to live in his kingdom would be hell to me. And hell, the absence of this God that I don't want to submit to, the absence of him, even burning in hell, would be pleasure to me. That would be my heaven, to be away from this God that I refuse to submit to. There's,
1: there's a couple of atheists that have made that statement blatantly, and I think, I'm pretty sure that Richard Dawkins has, I'm and I'm 100% positive that it was... Um,
0: Christopher Hitchens
1: that
0: just recently passed away. Christopher Hitchens. Yeah. And even Nietzsche um, or Stalin was dying with his fist up in the air. Karl Marx. Karl Marx. Marx Marx died with his fist up 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 up. in the air. He grew up in a Christian household Mm -hmm. and chose to go a different way, just as Darwin did the same thing.
3: Marx read Darwin and says, Oh, great, now I'm free. His daughter wow. said that when Marx died, he really up his head, he shook his fist at heaven, his head said that heaven died.
2: Well, one minute in hell, and they changed their mind about it, they did. Mm-hmm. But it's too late then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to enjoy hell. There's no enjoyment in hell. I've heard people say, Well, I'm not going to be alone in hell. Well, yes, you are. Everybody <laughs> know is Sarah. Alone? Yes, yeah. there's no light. There's no it's very, very, very I deceived people does. this Richard Hawkins is but... like. Okay. But it is exactly what you were reading, I right think. Mm-hmm. Romans was saying that they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't want that. So then God gives them over to a reprobate mind, which means a completely like. I turned around completely, away from God, and then looked at what the people are doing. Stalin delighted to kill Christians. Yes, <laughs> this is their mind, and mm-hmm. and so it is well, anyway. But that's a reprobate mind. And Marx killed more of his own people than were killed in the Holocaust. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, but but to think that. Or like when it says, I think in Thessalonians, it says um, that if it were possible, even the very elect could be deceived, but it's not possible. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit teaches us truth, and he reveals truth to us. So thank God that the devil is not able to do that. If you want another truth in your heart, God is going to reveal truth please. as you're able to bear it, because I thank you. Know, mm-hmm. There's a going into truth in a way that that's amazing. Thank you, God, because I thank believe you. that there are a lot of people who have had revealed truth and they grew very proud, which makes a very bad destiny for somebody who gets mm-hmm. proud in
0: Knowledge. It says in Proverbs that you uh, reprove a scoffer and they'll punch you in the face. Reprove a wise man and he'll learn more. Mm-hmm. Well,
2: that's amazing to have a mind.
0: Okay. So, mm-hmm. so applying this to our culture right now, what Jesus would have us to do is not to cancel these people and say, you're disdaining, you're an abomination, God hates you. Mm -hmm. Exactly, to pray for them if you're not able to politely, respectfully engage, or to engage saying, as I know God and according to Bible, this is the standard that I hold myself to And if you hold yourself to the same standard you claim to be a worker in the vineyard, then you're under the same judgment I am. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at this fruit, and this fruit is not biblical. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: At least claim that you're working in some other God's vineyard. Don't say you're working in my God's vineyard. Mm -hmm. Or if if you're talking to someone and they're like, I don't work in your God's vineyard, I don't want to be part of your God's covenant, then recognize that we're speaking to the world and the world knows its own and loves its own and approves of the things that it approves of. We cannot hold the world to the standard of judgment that we hold God's people to in the covenant. But we can say, my God created you, Therefore, he loves you, but I do not approve of these actions, and I will not help you in those actions. If you're willing to talk to me rationally in a respectful way, we can keep talking. Otherwise, I'm not supporting you. I'm going a different direction. This is biblical tolerance, but the tolerance that this world created, the social cognitive. Um, it was from the nineteen sixties. It's a. It's the. Um, systematic racism. The type of tolerance that that creates. Um, there's an article that I've. Read. The philosopher from the 1950s and 60s that established that line of thinking says to be tolerant of those that are tolerant is completely good, but this tolerance does not extend to those that are intolerant of some of the choices we want to make. Mm And it is a good thing to completely destroy and oppose them and bring them to nothing. There is no tolerance for those that do not approve of the actions that we want. But those that tolerate our actions, whether they participate or not, are able to be tolerated because they don't disapprove and they don't stop us. This is the philosophy that the modern definition of tolerance works in. It's part of the Humanist Manifesto in that period of time. So, it is fair to identify positions in a debate. It is not fair to insult the person in the debate that you disagree with. It is fair to say that this is a factual representation of your argument, and this is where we deviate. That is straightforward speech and debate. So this is not intolerant hate speech. This is being honest and factual and precise. So uh, verse 39, they caught the son, they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him, on the assumption that they could take over the vineyard. They thought, the scribes and the Pharisees thought, killing Jesus, who is the Messiah, that they don't want to submit to because they don't want to let go of their power. If they kill him, then Yahweh would be forced to use them as the going forward motion. They wanted to do Satan's work and usurp the word of God and build a Babylon within Judaism. They wanted to build a tower to reach God based on rabbinical traditions and oral Torah and commands of men to replace the Son of God, Messiah in the flesh, speaking to them.
2: Okay, so when they
3: said, this is the heir, come let us kill him, and seize his inheritance, they were acting out of covetousness.
0: Covet, and pride, and saying, the first will be first, and the last I don't care about.
2: Right. Right. And that all came down to that very first and pride. Right.
1: And the Pharisees and Sadducees are very prideful in their position. Exactly what
3: they're saying, pride. And that's what Jesus, that's what Jesus said. He says, You put all these laws upon upon men, but you you will not follow them. Yeah, you won't lift a finger.
0: Because if they lifted a finger, then they would be putting themselves in the same position, saying, I am equal before God, I'm no better than you. I Observe in historical communism, there's the leading ruling class and then there's everybody else. That's right. Not lifting a finger to help the standard people, but the leaders are always taken care of. Oh my, we have that in America. Exactly the right. Obamacare does not apply to our senators or anyone in office. Mm-hmm. They maintain their their they insurance, gave they gave us Obamacare. And even if they've only
3: shared one term, they are covered for life.
0: Yep. So this is what Jesus said of, I'm your leader, I'm serving you. Well,
3: good analogy.
0: So the greatest leader is a servant to all. That's somewhere in the Bible. So we're going to quickly finish 41-41. Uh, Through 44. What will he do when he comes to those vine dressers? They said, He will severely destroy those wicked men and rent his vineyard to other vine dressers who will give him the fruits in their seasons. He will oppose those who stiff neckedly refuse to have a heart of flesh, they have a heart of stone. And they say, we will worship the balls and the asherahs because our life was better giving raisin cakes to the Queen of Heaven. And when we served God, he did not rescue us from the Babylonians. I'm quoting the prophets. And
3: the Queen of Heaven was pagan.
0: Yes. So God says, even right here, that my covenant is not with the jewish people exclusively it's with humanity i start with the jewish people and i establish my way but i'm going to bring in the gentiles Mm -hmm. and for a time i'm going to set aside the jewish people in a less desirable position so i can work with the gentiles to bring about my salvation to the ends of the earth and then i will restore my Jewish people as my primary mode of transportation. 144,000. This is Paul and Romans. So if God ever cast away the Jewish people, then the Jeremiah 31 covenant would be destroyed. But because God does not cast away the Jewish people, regardless a long history we have hope and confidence that Jesus our messiah will not forsake us amen and this is what Jesus is referring to when he quotes out of uh, psalm 8, 118 22 and 23 the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone this is the lord's doing it's marvelous in our eyes Kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing its fruits, a nation of priests and kings. First Peter, also quotations from Torah. Whoever falls on this, uh, whoever falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but whoever it falls, it'll crush him. This is referring to the mountain that Daniel saw in his vision that crushed the. The statue is also referring to the cornerstone of the living tabernacle that God is building. It says in a different parable, build your house on the rock. Don't build it on the sand. Because if you build it on the sand, the stone is going to fall and crush you. If you build it on the rock, you have relationship with the rock The rock is not going to destroy its own. So we have confidence. If we are workers in the vineyard, and we have relationship with the owner of the vineyard, and we are doing the work that he puts in front of us, whatever he lays on our hearts to do, this is our relationship to Torah, this is our relationship to good works, whether you eat kosher or you don't, whether you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah and and Passover or resurrection or both, or something else. Do you have relationship with the owner of the vineyard? Are you working at the vineyard where he says to work? Don't despise the other servants working other parts of the vineyard because the master told them to go there and told you to go here. You can ask the other servants, what is the master having you do in this part of the vineyard while I'm working over here? What is your relationship to the master that he gave you this job and gave me that job? That's what 2 Timothy 2 is talking about in the verse right after where I read in uh, 2 Timothy 2, 20. And I will conclude on this because it is a good thing to meditate on because this is our relationship to the Lord of the vineyard. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. I'll read 19 for a reminder. The firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord, let everyone who calls on the name of Messiah depart from iniquity. By grace, through faith, producing the works of repentance and good fruit. Because, verse 20, in a large house, There are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay. Some vessels are for honorable use, and some for common or dishonorable use. The one who cleanses himself from these former things, look in context, will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, fit for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. In our modern day, just think of a hospital. There's syringes, there's scalpels, there's bedpans. All of these are very important for the sanitation and the protection and the service of the people in the hospital. All of these have different purposes. We get to choose our relationship to the master of the vineyard By our relationship and our obedience to his revealed, this is what I want you to do. We get to choose if we're a bedpan or a brain surgeon's scalpel. (laughs) Because regardless of if you're a scalpel or a bedpan, you get the same day's wage. But your purposes are different and your rewards are different but our ground level of you are my adopted child i love you i accept you you are in my kingdom you're redeemed by my blood does not change for hallelujah. the bed pants.
3: hallelujah and you're accepted you're redeemed by my blood Yes. I don't
1: know about being a big
0: It's our modern equivalent of what would have been well, yeah. discussed in his Ohio. day.
1: Well you also have your doctors and you have your nurses and then you have your mm-hmm. uh, janitorial assistants.
0: staff and CNAs. Yeah. And I know from experience a good janitor make or break the amount of staff infections in a hospital. A good janitor at a school should be paid equal to a good teacher and a good administrator. We should not look down on the janitorial staff
2: and the CNAs
0: because that's what Jesus says. Last will be first and first will be last. I've come to serve, not to be the CEO that makes 20 million for just showing up two days a week.
3: It's the janitors who actually keep you healthy. Yes, it's the ones who put in the cleaning supplies. Uh, I knew a purchaser, and her job was the toilet paper, the soap, the uh, disinfectant. And she says, "That's what I do." She goes, "This is the stuff I ordered." And I says, "Thank you." I says, "You're keeping us healthy." And she went, "Thank you. I never thought about it that way." And our janitorial staff—they did everything that they did to keep the place clean and to keep. Any kind of harm or disease away
0: from us. And keep in mind that these people, the janders, if we insult them and make their life difficult, they can buy one ply toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> they that's don't have the, to get the nice stuff.
2: That's that purchaser. She could have ordered one ply toilet paper. Yep. <laughs> but, um, Yes. Is there anybody that would like to say something, wrong, Because we've been talking here, and I don't know, we give them a chance.
0: <laughs> to God be the glory.
2: Thank
0: you, God. Yea, Lord. We will have a time of discussion following a song from my wife. Thank you for listening to the Covenant Heart Ministry weekly Sabbath sermon please subscribe for more interconnected topics and build a firm foundation for Bible-based faith in action. Be blessed in the Lord. Messiah is coming soon.